When Sergio Marchionne took over as CEO of Chrysler, he banned all of Chrysler's top executives from talking to the media. For nearly a year, the company went dark. Well, today we get to shine a little bit of a light of what's going on at Chrysler. Joining me for today's show is Joe Daner, the head of design for Dodge and Ram, Chris Barman, the vehicle line executive for Chrysler's full-size cars, and Klaus Pussy, the head of interior design for the Chrysler Group. I want to get them to talk about the products they're working on, but I really want to get a sense of what it's like working at the company right now, especially after going through bankruptcy. What I'm dying to find out is how the company is being run differently now that it's owned by Fiat compared to what it was like when it was owned by Daimler or even Cerberus, the private equity firm. After all, Chrysler looks like it's coming back strong. How were they able to do that? So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment to give you an insider's perspective of what's going on at Chrysler. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to our discussion here in the studio, all about uh, things going on at Chrysler. And joining us, of course, are Joe Daner, the head of Dodge and Ram Design, Chris Barman, the vehicle line executive for the E-Segment vehicles. We'll explain what E-Segment means in a moment. And Klaus Bussi, the head of interior design for Chrysler. Great having you all here in the studio with us. Chris, let's start with you. What do you mean E-Class vehicles? What's that? Yeah, so our E-Segment vehicles are our rear-wheel drive sedan platform, which includes the Chrysler 300, the Dodge Charger, and the Dodge Challenger. I was very surprised when I saw the new Charger because it's very much different than before. I thought these cars were just going to be a, a minor facelift where you change maybe some of the headlights or the fascias, but this is significant sheet metal change and interior change. Why did you guys go to so much trouble on this? It is. It's our second generation. So we've been in the market for a while with the product we have today, and we really wanted to revamp it. Um, and in doing that, we wanted to make it more competitive. So we looked at some of the best vehicles in the luxury segments, the BMW 5 Series, the Lexus, um, 460 um, as co aspirational competition, and we brought a lot of those elements into the product. Wait, 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 wait. speak about that. Uh, when has, has Chrysler and Dodge set Lexus and BMW as a target to go after? Um, why not? We can be as good as. Um, and what, what kind of features are you talking about that you're bringing into the vehicle? So if you take the Charger, for example, um, we really targeted the BMW, and what we were looking for is that spirited driving. That, that the BMW has, and we brought that into this vehicle um, in the Charger itself and looked um, into the chassis and what we could do to improve it. So it's uh, we started from our foundation of our rear-wheel drive architecture, but really made fundamental changes into the, um, the dynamics of the car to improve the handling um, and the ride as well to make it very spirited, very spirited, more neutral, and um, just a lot of fun to drive. Joe, and you're involved in the exterior design Absolutely. of these cars, right? What I find very interesting is, even though you got a chance to change all the sheet metal mm -hmm. on, if just talking about the Charger and, uh, and the 300, Chrysler 300 for the moment, it's very much an evolutionary design. What was the thinking behind, if you're going to change all the sheet metal, to evolve it rather than just come up with something totally different? Well, quite truthfully, I kind of consider both of those cars instant icons when they hit the market. Um, on the Dodge, which uh, I'm much more familiar with, um, we had an opportunity there to kind of mine some of the uh, design history of the past, uh, primarily a second generation Charger from 1968 to 1970. 
And that's really what we as designers wanted to do. Uh, because the, the current car that's out there originally was not intended to be called a charger. That was kind of a, an 11th hour decision. And In other so, words, you're, they, you were just doing a car and yes. then marketing came and said, we're gonna call this the charger. That is absolutely correct. And so this gave us an opportunity to do what we really wanted to do, knowing that it was gonna be a charger, and once again, mine some of that design history from the past. That's an amazing story that mm -hmm. had you known originally that it was gonna be a charger, you would have done the design differently. Quite a bit differently. So you got to do it this time yes. around. Did yes. you pull some old chargers into the studio for design <clears throat> inspiration, or how did you work that? We didn't uh, do that so much as we went into our historical collection that we have uh, with some of our uh, past uh, cars. And uh, we actually have a 1968 a red charger, vinyl, black vinyl top that we referenced. And, uh, and then the, the rest is history. Talk a little bit about some of the design cues on the charger that people could look for that ties into the earlier ones. Probably the biggest uh, design cue is uh, what we call Coke bottle or back in the day in the 60s in design, they called it the double diamond body side. And so we, uh, we leached from uh, the, that second generation car and integrated that into the new design. And then the second part is probably the uh, scallops that you see in the body side and on the uh, hood, uh, which were lifted in a modern way, if you will, uh, and, and applied to the, uh, the new design. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see the sales figures as this start showing up in the showroom, see how the public uh, takes to it. And Klaus, you do all the interior stuff. Chrysler has made dramatic improvements in the interiors of, I think, almost all of its vehicles, certainly the ones that are getting redesigned. What's different? I mean, why? I don't want to try to get you in trouble here, but why has it improved so much, I guess, is the kind way to put it. Well, um, I think we got a lot of outside help and internal help to realize what we had done in the past was not competitive enough and left some potential behind. Um, help from people like you, help from the media, help from our customers. We really sat down with them and, and, and try to figure out, okay, what went wrong in the system? And then when you go through a life-changing experience like a bankruptcy, you, you have to ask yourself, what went wrong? What have, do we have to change as a company and can't continue to do anymore? And interiors were on the top of the list. We had to do better world-class interiors. And I think the current product that's about to launch, and it has launched recently, shows that. I'm sure one of the first steps is just spend more money on better materials. It's, it's, it's a little bit of that, but it's also being more clever, being more passionate about it. So what we had to do is, before we did an okay job doing, trying to do exterior and interior all in one studio, yeah. exterior always wins. Exterior always gets the front page. So what we had to do is we had to create a team that is passionate about interiors and doesn't want to do anything but interiors. Doesn't want to do an exterior sketch rather than an interior sketch. And we found those people and they live and breathe interior. They, they, they have all the dedication it takes. And that makes the difference. Yes, the money helps, but the passion and the quality of people we have working on it. I'm sure when you have people who are totally dedicated to an interior too, they can monitor what the competition is oh, doing totally. and make sure you've got the they're, latest they're, and greatest. They're experts. They know, you know, an AC outlet, how should it work? How can you hide the vein gaps and all that stuff? You have experts that go in there. We had people sitting in a conference and we had to hold them back not to go the third inch into the AC outlet duct for that one moment when the sun shines into it and potentially shows it. They're obsessed with quality, and it doesn't stop at the A surface, it goes all the way into the details. Chris, Klaus just mentioned something interesting. Mm -hmm. When you go through bankruptcy, it really gets your focus going. 
What did it feel like as an employee at Chrysler knowing your company was going into bankruptcy? Um, you always had the influence from the outside, driving in in the morning. That's the first thing you'd hear. You'd listen to the radio and all the bad news, and you'd walk in. And at that point in time, we were working on these products. And you'd walk into the studio, and you'd see those models and all the great stuff that we were doing. And you just thought, you know what? It's noise. Because the people who are here want to be here, and they want to be in the auto industry, and they're dedicated to the company and the product. And it just took off from there. So the energy was there amongst the people who were working on the product, and they put their heart and soul into what you see, um, and I think it shows very well, and there's a lot of pride in the product. Joe, I'm sure you've seen ups and downs in oh, the yeah. industry. What was your thoughts of, you know, yeah. bankruptcy? I, I, I mean, it's different to have a bad <clears throat> year or go through a recession, but bankruptcy is totally different. No, absolutely. That's a slip, slippery slope that you definitely don't want to go down, but uh, it happened, and as Chris pointed out, and Klaus would agree, we're kind of the insiders because we get to touch the future product every day. We see, we live two, three years ahead so of everybody else. So you knew what was coming. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. We see it's all about the product. And so we get to see and feel and touch that. And uh, it, it is strictly just background noise at that point. Yeah. And, and, and towards the end of 08, they offered all the buyouts, right? Anyone working for us, any one of us could have walked away with a nice chunk of money and say there is no future for this company. But just because mm -hmm. what Joe said, I think I'm proud to say I didn't lose a single person of my team because they were so passionate about what they were working on. And we knew we we're going to succeed by seeing the product, the Grand Cherokee, the Durango, Charger, 300. Mm -hmm. yeah. All those products were done in the studios during those arguably dark days. Mm -hmm. But we were so focused on it. And once, at one point, you learn not to listen to the news in the morning, don't read the emails or the, the news or the web blogs in the evening, stay focused on the job, here we are and we succeed. Klaus, you're German, you started at Daimler, Correct. you came to Chrysler when it was Daimler Chrysler. Yes. Did you ever think, oh my God, what did I get into here? <laughs> I did not, but believe me, my family did. Even my, even my, <laughs> even my parents, my, my wife's parents asked me, what are you doing with my, with my daughter? But um, no, it is, it is now nice to be able to show not only friends and family, but all the people out there this is why we stayed, not only me, but why all of us stayed. This is why we are passionate about Chrysler. This is why we like this company. This is why we like living here, working here. Chris, yeah. one of the reasons I love having all three of you on here mm -hmm. is Chrysler went dark, as we in the media say. I think even in Chrysler you say you went dark. Yeah. Sergio Marchione, the CEO of the company, didn't let any of the media talk to any of the people. Correct. You, you haven't given us little teasers much of product coming. Talk a little bit about that. What, what's it like now working at Chrysler versus what it was like before? Yeah, and now I really what you have is um, everybody's ideas are flowing and a lot of information's there in, in internally. And to your point of we went dark, but even though we did, everybody had a confidence that we don't need to tell anybody else. We know what we're doing. You know, we're very confident in what we're doing. Our product is solid, and we're just going to focus on that. And we focus those efforts internally, and the information flows now, I think, better than it ever has. And, and you know, we even joke about we've cross-trained each other. Joe loves it when I start talking about the tricoat red, the red line red that's on the Dodge Charger and how it's such a beautiful color. But Joe can talk about arrow. arrow. Chapter and verse, <laughs> her, he can tell her, you about arrow and everything yeah. that was done to the design in order to help fuel economy. So when you've got the whole team understanding each other's needs and how to cover for each other to make the best product, you're firing on all cylinders. Yep. You say the information is flowing better now. How? how, how what's different? Well, I think there's 
probably a lot more uh, cross-functional teams, if you will, yeah. uh, that get everybody's vote and get support and representation from all disciplines. That's probably the biggest thing I've noticed. Mm -hmm. and, and we are, are pretty quick to make decisions, too, and we stick yeah. to them. I think, I think there's a lot more discipline. I think also there's a lot more cohesiveness and when we need to talk about um, a product, you get all the stakeholders in the room. Yep. So now that, you know, even more so when we're in the execution phase, but this is at every phase of the, of the program, but now that we're launching, we've been doing about every other week with our top management, all of them in the room, the head of quality, the head of manufacturing, mm -hmm. the head of purchasing, the head of engineering, we all have to report to them as a whole and then we talk about the trade-offs of, okay, we've got a launch date, but we have a quality issue, so how are we gonna manage and balance to make sure at the end of the day the customer's protected and the quality's at the level it needs to be? And it doesn't matter whose group it is, there's no defending territory, it's what's the best thing for the product and for the customer. Chris, this is kind of an echo to me, and it echoes back to the early 90s when Chrysler went to what it called a platform team organization. <clears throat> is this kind of getting back to that or different? Not so much. I wouldn't say that in the design world. Uh, our studios are actually brand-centric now. We used to have our studios set up per platforms where you would literally have a, a Chrysler 300 and a, and a Dodge Charger being uh, in the same studio next to each other. Uh, great from a resource standpoint, but from a brand standpoint, there could be some cross-pollinization that might not be good from a styling. So they end up looking the same. Yes. What you're and so now we are brand-centric. You know, we have no Chryslers in the Dodge studio. There's no Jeeps in the Dodge studio. And I think it's actually become better that way. Klaus, you doing the same thing with interiors? Slightly. Uh, in Pure, <clears throat> the challenge was not so much differentiating a Chrysler from a Dodge or from a Jeep. Interiors had completely different challenges, quality materials, yeah the passion factor. Now that we have mastered that and proven to ourselves and the public, about to prove to the public that we've mastered it, we're considering something like that, but it's too early to talk about it. Right now, it's about getting the quality right across the board. Not so much, is this a crisis, is this a dodge? Although I believe when you look at our product, we, we can clearly define them by brand. Do you guys get the sense that you're, you're getting over a big hump in the sense that you've got a lot of product coming out? What is it, 14, 15, 16, 16 vehicles coming out? Yeah. Unprecedented, I think, from an automaker. But <clears throat> the word I keep hearing is you people, Chrysler people, are working like dogs. You've never worked harder in your lives. Mm -hmm. Is this true, and can you keep the pace up? It's, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, obviously, as we have more resources come on board, that will help as we go into future product development and things like that. But um, this big bang theory with all this new product launching, I mean, it's a great thing to experience. And, um, and I, I think as we go forward, yeah, more resources will probably be the key there. Yeah, and we'll ebb and flow the resources to where they yeah. need to be at the right point in time in the program. So yeah, we've had a big push to launch all of these, and now we'll start to redeploy people to where they need to be on some of the next future product that's coming. And then, you know, if there are more actions that may be coming to improve the product that's just been out there, we'll keep a few people yeah. back to work on that. So. But um, we, we, we couldn't continue to be the first in the office and the last in the office anymore because you would be in the office 24-7 because at any yeah. given point in time of the week, there's someone in the office from my team, from your team. Correct. So you have to, you know, the, I think the big management style changes to empower people, not to tell them what to do, mm -hmm. right? I trust <clears> you. Here's the job. Go with it. Let me know when there's a problem. And it lets us go home at 8 versus at midnight yeah. to shepherd everyone, you know. 
But I imagine, too, this, these 16 products was an enormous effort, and that's what I'm wondering mm -hmm. now if you get mm -hmm. into a more natural or normal, I should say, product cadence. I know you got another yeah. big one coming in a couple of years, too, as the, yeah. the Fiat platform vehicles <clears throat> get integrated. Yeah. I think the thing we don't want to fall into is normal. I think we need to do what's right yeah. at the right point in time, and we're. I think that's going to be the competitive advantage is just constantly read the market, and then what do we want to do to, you know, fit the marketplace for any one of our brands or to fit into our showroom and be flexible to that. And it doesn't have to be a whole new product. You can still take some significant actions on a on a program or a project in that with some limited resources and still have um, very, be very impactful with that. So I think it's just being smart. I don't know that there is a normal anymore. No, there you, isn't. You don't, you don't tell a race driver to <clears throat> take a lap easy because that's the lap he's going to crash, right? You want to stay focused. You want to give it all. And right now the team is trained to do that. So are we. And we've got to be careful with our resources. Don't want to burn yeah. them out. Yeah. But right now we're running and it, it feels good because you see what's happening. You get the feedback. I mean, it's, it's re-energizing the fire, right? And it's, we're not slowing down. Talk a little bit about how you're separating the brands from a design engineering standpoint and the like. Because I find this fascinating that you were talking, Joe, that you might have a Chrysler and a yeah. Dodge in the studio next to each other and that's not happening right now seems to me that Chrysler is much more brand focused than it's been in a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. And it begins <clears throat> all the way at the top with our different uh, brand CEOs for each of the respective brands. Um, and as I mentioned in the studios, it's come down to where I actually follow both Ram and Dodge and Ram and Dodge have separated. Ram continues on with the Ram's head mascot. Dodge continues on with a with no mascot and its own identity. So uh, that presents a real good opportunity for Dodge to kind of uh, uh, shed some of the, I'll call the visual baggage, uh, if you will, of the trucks and move on to a new. What you're new saying is you had to have some design cues from the trucks the in the cars. The crosshair. And, and, and the crosshair on, on the, the grill. grill was probably the biggest thing. Ram will probably continue on with a crosshair. Dodge, it will be more ethereal. It'll be there. It'll <clears throat> maybe not be as uh, prominent and maybe not as uh, mechanical looking. So that's probably the biggest opportunity we have for Dodge as we separate those brands. And uh, Chris, how about for you then? Because you're, you're E-Class, which is uh, <clears throat> Dodge and Chrysler. Correct. So how do you handle these brand differences? Or when you get into the hardcore engineering, does it not matter? Um, it, it does matter. So f foundationally, we'll start from a lot of the same components. We want to share them, because it's very cost effective to do that. But um, each each one of the products has its own DNA, and we really have to respect that and understand who's the target customer that's going to buy this. Who's going to buy a Charger versus a 300? They're both sedans, but when they walk in the showroom, they're obviously going to gravitate towards one to the other, and we don't want it to just be a cosmetic. One looks different. It's really, it's truly down to the core of the DNA, and we've tuned the chassis of a Charger to be very different from a 300. Give us some examples. Field. How do you tune a chassis so that a Dodge is different than a Chrysler? Yeah, we really focused on the handling element of the Charger, um, and we really wanted it to handle and feel light and feel nimble, and, um, and we may have traded that off a little bit for ride. So your ride may be a little bit harsher, a little bit firmer. You're going to feel it a little bit more through the seat of your pants. On the Chrysler side, we wanted it to be a little more comfortable, more of a touring, more of a go down the road, um, not as maybe you know quick in the turns as what you might experience with the with the Charger, but um, s 
still very nimble, but um, more of a comfort in the ride. And that, that um, customer is gonna appreciate all the other appointments and features that are in the vehicle itself. The safety features, the, you know, the new CTP telematics that we have, um, active front headlamps, heated ventilated seats, heated cooled cup holders, all these other appointments in the interior that give the experience of the car where the guy going to get the charger is like, I care about performance, I care about driving, I want to make sure it's very fun to drive. So we separate those and really think about who, who wants to drive or buy that car. Klaus, same question. Chrysler seems to be much more brand-centric, brand-focused. Yes. How does that manifest itself in the interior design well, studios? It creates fantastic opportunity for the designers because you don't have to try to fulfill all your dreams in one brand, one interior, but you have multiple brands to let your different egos come out. Jeep is Jeep, right? It's like Coke in the, in the beverage industry. There's the one brand everyone knows, no problem with that, and, and we will have so much more fun with it. Um, Dodge, very easy now, right? We, we have separated from, from Ram, so now we can have fun with it. We can show attitude. It doesn't have to, you know, live up to its big brother, the Ram truck. Um, there's going to be fantastic product coming out, too. Chrysler, for a lot of people see it as the biggest challenge. For me, my team is the biggest opportunity. It's actually a lot of fun to work on it because Chrysler, from my perspective, coming from, from a different continent, looking at on it from the outside, it's a very aspirational brand. I love that brand. I grew up with a 300 looking at it, and that's the, that's the car, that's, that's the reason I came to Chrysler. And bringing back American craftsmanship with that brand. All this looking over to Europe for interior quality, that's, that's not the right thing for us. There's a rich wealth of American craftsmanship in this country. Look at Charles Eames chairs, Chris Craft boats, the, 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 the Chrysler building in New York. There's such a wealth of high-end, great American product we can look at. It has a different quality than European or Japanese craftsmanship. American craftsmanship has this nice, honest attitude. And then we have high-end products like, you know, Apple and all that stuff. So if you look at what this company, what this, what, the, what this country has to offer, and you condense that into one product, it's Chrysler. And I imagine, too, you've got to bring your suppliers along, too. It's not just this passion in Chrysler. I'm sure your suppliers have got to be able to deliver that. How are you working with them to make sure it happens? Well, what we've learned is um, we, we have trained suppliers to, to live to the same expectations as you maybe they've delivered to some premium premium OEMs and maybe not so much to us in the past. They do that to us now too, but the key was to get the know-how internally. We don't want to depend on a supplier anymore. A supplier executes for us, but the know-how on how we get that, what are the playbooks, what are the perfect fit and finish, the gaps, we have that knowledge now internally, so we're less dependent on the supplier. And I think the other thing, Klaus, that we're doing in that area also is um, a lot more VR simulation and modeling, bringing the suppliers in earlier. Yeah, earlier. Indeed. And allowing them to look at the design early on, and then they can understand how to produce it, you know, and where to do the gating and the tool, and where to have the parting lines, and where to do things to optimize those gaps versus in the past, kind of, okay, we're done, here you go. We're, we're engaging them now to say, okay, this is what we want the design to look like. And they may come back and say, hey, Klaus, can you change this radius a little bit here because it'll help. And we have that exchange just to get the product better. Joe, I imagine the virtual world has totally changed the way that you do cars these days. Yeah, it has, and we still use that as a tool. It'll probably never replace uh, real world uh, you know, testing or real world uh, 3D models that we have. But it has play models too. Exactly, you're still going to have exactly to play, right? yes. Um, but it has helped us as a tool 
to get uh, our designs up to speed. Uh, and plus it allows us to look at multiple themes uh, for um, our executives and our uh, product committee so that they can have uh, a wealth of, of material to look at and not just pick one or two themes, but look at three or four virtually. And then we can pare those down and make 3D models from them. And of course now uh, Chrysler is going to be borrowing platforms and technology from Fiat and Fiat will take stuff from Chrysler too. Can, can you guys talk to each other virtually? Oh yeah, I mean we, uh, we have quite, a, I know I have at least uh, three uh, video conferences a, a week uh, on the same subject matter. So uh, that's, that's been happening from, from day one basically. And from a hardcore engineering standpoint too, do the, the companies match up Absolutely. You know, yeah. once you get into the, the, the computer world of things? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's full flow of exchange, and it doesn't. It, to that point, it doesn't have to be face to face. You don't have to take that trip. You can use virtual tools to help. You know, keep moving along without having to make the trek from Europe to America and back. So I imagine next step is what more, more what? what what's the next step in Chrysler? I know you can't give away the future product and all that, but what's your gut feel as where the company goes from here? I think you can expect even more from us. Um, for, from the interior point of view, I think we are about to complete. The first step, which is bringing back high-quality materials, great execution, and establishing ourselves again as someone who is trusted to deliver great interiors, good quality. So now that you've set a new foundation, now we can have more fun with, uh, with the styling again, technology, and, and go down different routes in, in terms of how we design interiors. And that's all I can say right now. But you know, as, as excited as I was two years ago to get to 2010 to launch all this product, I'm equally excited to get to next year and the year after to show the next round of products. Real good. Well, that's a great, great point to end this all up on. But Joe, Chris, Klaus, thanks so much for coming in here and talking with me. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Some people wrote Chrysler off for dead, but I always thought the company could stage yet another comeback. Last year, Chrysler managed to increase sales, was able to boost market share, and had an operating profit. This despite the fact it had essentially no new product in the showroom. That tells me the fundamentals of the company are strong. I mean, if it could do that well with a product line that's not very competitive, imagine what will happen when they get those 16 new products in the showrooms this year. I think the company could shock just about everybody, and you can be sure we are going to follow Chrysler's progress all year long. But that brings us to the end of this program. For all of us here at AutoLine, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.